0: Hello and welcome to the Game Dev London podcast. This is a community of people who are absolutely in love with talking about and sharing their love of the details behind making games, whether or not they're based actually in London. Uh, I'm your host, I'm Oscar Clark, he, him pronouns, and I'm on a quest. My quest is to understand everything you wanted to know about Game Dev, but never dared to ask. And today I am absolutely delighted to be joined by my my good friend, Lucy. Um, Lucy is a, a game producer. In fact, I tell you what, let me do a quick transition and I can bring Lucy. On. Lucy, great to see you. Do you wanna tell everybody who you are and what you do? Yes, great to see you, Oscar.
1: Thank you. Hi everyone, my name is Lucy Prunier. I am French, uh, hence my Twitter handle, French Lucy. Um, I am a game producer, but just to give you a little bit of background on me, how did I get there? uh and why is this french person talking
0: to this london person (laughs) and Um, so much time that you spent in the uk as well
1: exactly so i uh as i like to introduce myself i studied political sciences which obviously led me to games um and i first worked in games in japan actually because part of my studies was in japan and studying japanese And uh, so I started in Japan as a translator and a localization manager from English and Japanese to French. Um, And from there, essentially, I met a lot of people working in games and I wanted to be more involved in the games industry, more directly um, uh, in the game development. Uh, And uh, I knew some people who had moved from localization to production uh, in Japan. And essentially what I did was I moved to London to do that, Um, London being such a big hub for the games industry. And uh, so I moved in 2015 uh, and I worked there uh, at two studios, two small studios where I was a producer. Uh, in particular, I worked at Preloaded, which is based in North London, and makes games with a purpose. so games for games beyond entertainment essentially. Uh, not just serious games, but also you know games for museums and you know uh, training, etc. Um, On the smaller scale, um, mobile games, VR games, web games as well, uh, with smaller teams. And actually in 2019, I moved back to my native France to try it out, um, and to work at Dontnod Entertainment. And I was part of the production team of Tell Me Why, which was released uh, summer 2020, a game we did with Microsoft. Much bigger production from what I'd done before, so only part of the production team, so I actually helped some of the teams. Uh, and actually, since uh, summer 2020, I've been working on what we call a cross-project uh, aspect of Don't Nod. So I work with support teams that support several projects at the same time because we have several work streams at the same time.
0: And that's, me. that's always a tough one, isn't it? Trying to deal with context switching and multitasking. Or, and it's kind of funny, I forgot you were at preload because we've just been doing some work with those guys recently. I can't say what the project is. It's all hush-hush. Uh, I don't even know if it'll come out. By the way, it, like like a lot of the things I get involved with, I get get involved in lots of things and either kill them off or uh, um, you know they never see the light of day. But that's that's just the the cross I bear for being on the cutting edge all the time. Um, now, um, so you're talking a lot about kind of how you've gone from that sort of localization, the production roles, and the, and the kind of larger and smaller projects, and, and mm. I think you've also worked as a freelance producer for a while as well.
1: Yep. A little bit, yeah. Um, so.
0: Yeah, we're going to get to this, but one of the things I always come back to with production is I think it's an absolute essential role. And we actually uh, joke with Ella, my business partner, um, we jokingly called her the chief list maker. Now, some people think that was me belittling, but actually I think that the ability to create lists being an ability I'm not actually that good at and keep to them is an absolute world changing skill. Uh, and, and that was actually intended as the highest form of compliment. I'm chief curiosity, but I'm basically useless. I can tell people what to do, but I can functionally do nothing. Uh, it's not quite true, but um, I like to pretend that. Um, so, you know, what is a producer actually going to do? You know, what is the thing that is a producer? Why, why should we care?
1: Yeah, why should we care? It's a very good point. Thank you, Oscar. Uh, The first thing I would say is it's scary, actually, how so many people, even in the games industry, don't know what a producer does. Because, I mean, that's the first problem, right? Um,
0: Because a bit like game designer, the definition is much more fluid than you might think.
1: Exactly. That was like that's always my first point, actually, when someone asks me what I do, because obviously it's actually a, a dreaded question when someone asks me what do you do, because I'm like uh, I'm a I'm a video game producer. I said very clearly because I know it's not something people expect me to say. So and you're they the one raises the money, aren't you? No, I'm not the one <laughs> raising the money. Oh my god. <laughs>
0: Sorry, um, I couldn't no, resist that. One. No,
1: but it, absolutely no. It's a very good point. That's the thing is, I'm not the one who's raising the money, and I'm also not the one cracking the whip, which is a horrible thing that I get a lot. I'm like, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm also not a game designer. I'm also not a marketing director, and I'm also not a PR director. Um, and these are like some of the most obvious things I get a lot. Um, so yeah, the the first thing is to be fair, it is annoying because I mean, annoying. It's normal, but it's quite fluid, and it depends on the studio. So. Is it is there one definition? Uh, Well, uh, there's one thing really that unites us all producers, I would say, is that uh, I simplify it as can I swear a little bit, by the way? I haven't asked you.
0: Uh, Do you know I've never worried about it. Oh, my God. uh, You'll have to pardon my French. You'll find out. <laughs> oh,
1: exactly. Um I we get shit done. Uh yeah. that's essentially what oh, we do. Oh, that doesn't count
0: as swearing. That's fine. That's Thank normal. You. Okay, great.
1: <laughs> great. Fantastic. Yeah, we get shit done. It's essentially yeah. what we do. I remember asking uh, early on my career, you know, people I mean I still do that I ask, you know, do you think I'm doing things right, you know, to more senior members and they'd be like, you get shit done, you know? Yeah. The rest is experience. Exactly. Um But yeah, that's that's a way to say it. I've I've got a pinned tweet actually where I've um, a i've summarized what a producer does and that's way back when it was 140 characters only and i think it was a uh, uh, a games producer is uh, uh, get shit done um uh, when shit hits the fan get a dev to fix the shit and i think there was another <laughs> shit in
0: the sentence anyway shit yeah, we'll hits the fan get a dev to fix it. i like that uh, as a product owner my hmm. my job title is it's my fault ah well, slightly different. <laughs>
1: it is, but you know, it's actually kind of. I want to say it's true. It is your fault, yeah. but also when things go wrong. I mean, when things go right, usually people are like, "Why are you here as a producer?" Yeah. And when there's a problem, it's also my fault
0: right yeah. away. Well, I mean, uh, I was thinking more as a as a product owner, but as a somebody who's responsible for the entire business of the game. Oh yes, which is my role, but generally. Yes. Uh, yes. And I, obviously, I do a lot of design work. I do a lot of other things, marketing, prom- publishing, all those kind of things. But in general, what you you know, if it's, I have to have a holistic view of all of the game, and I have to hold all of it in my brain, and know what the implications are of anything happening. Now, obviously, real people do real jobs. I just have to keep a picture in place. But it's my fault if it goes wrong. It's their success if it goes right.
1: Oh. Okay. I don't, mean I'm not,
0: I don't need sympathy. That's that's the job. That's the burden you take on as a product owner. That is your responsibility. Um, but it's the delight is actually delighting in when you see the dev team producing this amazing code. You see the art team producing this amazing art. You see the production team making sure that's all glued together and happens in a systematic and consistent way. That's, that's the sort of joy. And I think, to me, that's the thing I think about when I think about producers is the glue
1: it is the glue, it's absolutely the glue, um, not just that though, um, and usually we don't get credits either, by the way, very
0: often, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: we're very much in the same boat in that respect, I okay? yeah. think, um, so what I usually say is really there's this, the, the role of producer is twofold, With traditional role, there's project management and there's people management, that's, yeah. whatever happens, we're going to do these two things in some shape or form, Exactly. so, right? So project management is really what a project manager does which essentially means keeping track of what I like to call the triforce of a project which is the budget, scope and time.
0: Yeah. Oh. Cuz if you bad. touch
1: yeah, if you touch any of them it impacts the others. So essentially it's yeah, a magic triangle. Them. Yeah. Yeah. So it's keeping track of that and making sure that we're on time, we're on budget and we're on uh, we're
0: uh, on scope. But what does that actually mean in practice? Now, I, yes. I kind of I have my views. I'm sure you have your views. But we talk about the triangle. I mean, some of this will where that triangle. Yep. That triangle is actually hugely important because it's, yep. a, it's almost like a realpolitik in terms of development. It's like the yep. reality yep. that we struggle with constantly. And yep. each of those parameters wants to scale.
1: Mm, exactly. Absolutely. So, you always you? want more time, you always yeah. want more people, you always want more budget, more scope. Well the yeah. thing is, um, you know, it's actually really funny because there is actually I would I would want to start with something a little bit philosophical, but it's it's actually really good to have limitations because it forces you to release something. Yeah. Um I remember actually it was the production director at DOMUD, I think he, he tweeted that. I think it was him tweeting and not retweeting. Either way, he tweeted that thing where it was like this question, you know, these questions you get on Twitter so that people can interact. And the question was, if you had unlimited time, what kind of game would you make? And he said, no game, because yeah. then no game would ever get finished if you don't oh, have time.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Exactly.
1: So that's my first, you know, cool answer. Um, I like that uh, answer. Yes. What was your question? Because I had my cool answer. Well, it
0: was talking about the triangle. So <laughs> yes. we talk about the triangle. We talk about the fact there are But what does it actually mean to control yes. that triangle?
1: Yeah. So essentially someone's gonna want to pitch in something there's two things essentially either a, a problem's gonna arise i mean because problems arise whatever happens there will be a problem and there will be change and i don't know what you mean
0: i've never had a problem <laughs> Wait, yeah, I, get the
1: right thing, okay. I mean I've, i had that conversation with someone recently you know on the team being like i wish i could be on a production where you know there was no problem and you know we set things right at the start and then you know we wouldn't be like but we talked about this a year ago and i'm like I'm sorry, dude, but that does not happen. <laughs> We're humans. There's gonna be mistakes, things forgotten, good intent, but you know um, that's what hell is paved of, um, as we say. So well, that's
0: why I have the long-running joke in my head. It's not. It's a bit of a dad joke, but there's only one thing worse than game development, and that's not making games.
1: Oh, I think <laughs> it's adorable. But- okay, it's, it could be adorable. It's also really sad, but yes,
0: it's also really sad yes i, I love it yes but it is full of problem solving yes yeah you know, at the end of the day yes and yes. i think this is what designers and yes. producers have in common our jobs are yes. to solve problems yes, so actually, yes. In fact, ty kelly who's a good mate of mine he was writing a book I don't, I don't know if he ever finished it but um he was writing a great book i got to have a first read of uh, one of the early drafts and um he talked about actual game design isn't about making games it's about mm. reducing cost now he was being flippant; it was a kind of joke, but actually, but it's I think true, it's really true about it.
1: Yeah. It's completely true, absolutely. Um, uh, James Holzap actually, the uh, he was the lead designer at Preloaded uh, when yeah. I was there. I remember I know, he,
0: yeah,
1: yeah. he, he, he. Um, we had a meeting, like the production team and the design team, and he essentially said. Essentially, the production team is our best friend. And I thought it was, oh, um, but he said, yeah, and we have to help them as well. It was a moment where I think for some reason we needed support and some designers helped a lot because they are the most problem solvers with us. To some extent coders as well, of course, because it's, you know, coders but right or wrong. But it's kind
0: of problem. I mean, yes. you want, so uh, I think um, artists have to solve visual communication mm. problems. Mm. Coders have to make sure that the experience flows UX people have to make sure that the journey works. We're all solving different kinds of problems. I think designers are about helping understand where the fun is. Yes. And finding the part the, the fastest path to that. Mm. I think producers are about finding where the game is and the closest path to actually getting something out.
1: Well, actually, I would say the, my way of seeing the problem solving for a producer is pretty much anything that can be a problem. And that can actually be a blocker. So, like yeah. anything can be a problem for a producer. Um, yeah. Anything that would block progress yes. towards delivery? Yeah. yeah. so no, to go back to that triangle really is what does it mean to actually control, yeah, the um, uh, budget, scope and uh, time? Well, essentially, if there's a problem, a problem is going to impact at least one of those three, right? Like, yeah. you know, it can be as simple as someone is late because there was no bus and we have a huge delivery today. That's going to impact time. Um, what does that mean? Well, that's the thing is you've got to figure it out. And what it means is that I don't have that answer. I mean, I probably have a hunch, but I need to make sure that the person who's accountable for this and responsible for this, um, you know, actually ha- has the solution and we can action it together essentially, you know, if someone's late and we have delivery, it's like, okay, well, gather around the team of that person and be like, cool, so that person was supposed to do this. Um, we, do we really need it for the delivery? Um, if yes, okay, someone else needs to do it. It means something else is not getting done, right? Because we have less time. So scope has to decrease as well. Okay, well, it just, you know, what's the impact? Every time what the producer does is, okay, what's the impact? Um, you know, well, the impact is we can do A or B. Okay, which one do we want? Who's accountable for that? Is it the client? You know, is it the game creator? I don't know because yeah. um, it depends. You know, the type of game.
0: Well, and it's just you know, studio. When you talk about client, there, you, you know, that's obviously something that's very relevant when you're talking about a work for hire studio. Uh, it's it's obviously the client is you if you're making your own IP. Yep. Um, or well, actually, I, I'd argue that the client is the product owner there, but mm. that's that's normally me. So, well,
1: <laughs> you could argue it's actually the CEO of the company. The client yeah i mean
0: uh, the, okay. the, the one, one with the, the money ceo is the one doing that function mm-hmm. they're probably a bit too close or the company is a bit smaller
1: yeah uh, it, depends, it depends on the company really i would say right
0: but it's a difficult one i think you know you can carry on that kind of line of logic as well mm-hmm. i think about the layers of what we're trying to deliver you know we're trying mm-hmm. to sort of work out you know I, for example i think scope is the thing that we always want to to play with rather than time or budget, personally. For sure, for sure. And actually, I think from a design point of view, though, playing with scope is really important. But when you have a client, a producer, a CEO, or whoever, Mm. there may be certain things which are sacrosanct. Now, what drives that thing that is sacrosanct is going Mm. to be varied. It might be personal ambition. It might be the whole mission behind what we're trying to achieve Mm-hmm. Or there might be some hard and fast numbers. But you don't mm-hmm. you can't always tell the difference between personal ambition or personal desire and hard and fast numbers. Yes. It's not that's always as clean cut as that.
1: Yeah, that's fair. I would say that scope is always the one that everybody wants to. Uh, improve, but it's just that we have different definitions of scope. You know, like say, yeah. some, you know, a client might want something and they want to add to it and they think it's going to be huge, but you know, the lead designer would think it's a terrible idea. Yeah. And you know, if we're going to spend extra time, we would be better doing this or that. And it's actually the game designer's job to try and convince the client to do that and the producer helping the game designer potentially to do that as well.
0: I, I can't remember if this is a real thing or if I just misremembered it, but. I have a vague memory of being in a room where the, the person who was in charge, I've forgotten who it was, said that we had to have more turtles because his kid liked turtles.
1: Oh, God. Oh, uh, I no. I suspect
0: it's apocryphal. I suspect I'm misremembering it. But I have this visceral memory of an experience where somebody said, we need turtles. Oh. And it's like, what? Why?
1: see okay this is maybe a bit of a tangent but i love out of context game development quotes because they're the best they're yeah. the best out of context quotes they're just fantastic <laughs> i worked on a i worked on a horror game um and we had the marketing team in the same room uh, so the quotes were fantastic <laughs> absolutely fantastic you know
0: yeah, um, i love all that kind of stuff but anyway where were we yeah so we're talking about. Yeah. So scope is something to play with, but can't always shift scope. Yep. Um, and how, uh, how do we? So who decides on the scope as well? I mean, that's the other thing. I mean, I might well, know what I think, but I'd love to know what. what well, is who the decides reality? on the scope?
1: That's really something you decide at the start of the project. Normally, you know, it's like it's based yeah. on the budget and scope is kind of the thing, and then it defines time, right? And if time's too yeah. long, well, you have to reduce scope. Yeah. Or if you have more money, maybe you can get more people. But, you know, there's one of those moments where it's, like, too many cooks in the, in the kitchen. You know, it's that thing that you have to craft when you pitch and when you're at the start. doesn't mean the scope you ca- can't get bigger. But what I've noticed, actually, and I think it's relatively common, is especially if you have an outside client. Obviously, they want to pay as little as possible for the best game possible, okay. right? So you start with a budget that's quite, you know, reduced. And you're like, okay, how do I make this fit? And my job is essentially keeping track of, you know, are we on track in terms of time and in terms of scope and budget? You know, are we doing what we're supposed to be doing and are we still on budget? But there's a point where the clients start seeing the game, you know, as they start seeing iterations and they start going, oh, wouldn't it be nice if we had this, you know, cherry on top of the cake or something? Yeah, on and that usually side. they. Ah, there you go. But then you can have that second conversation, right? You're like, yeah, if you add, you know, 20 grand, then we can get, you know, that cherry and that sparkle. Yeah, that would be great.
0: Whatever. I mean, it cost you 20 grand.
1: Yeah, <laughs> for a cherry. That's the most expensive cherry in the world. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean, right? It's interesting because um,
0: I'm kind of i I'm, I'm increasingly coming from the other end because mm-hmm. I'm not doing work behind. We're doing publishing stuff, type stuff. We're trying to go not from milestones, but to KPI-driven processes. Mm-hmm. So. When I'm looking at it, I'm looking, what's my cost per install? What's my um, re- day one retention, day seven retention, day 30 retention? What's my average revenue per user? And mm-hmm. what's the, the user flow during this process? How do they actually play the game? And how do I increase? I, I see that this level they're dropping off or that level they're, they're spiking. How do I make sure yeah. I optimize the experience? Yeah. And yeah, yeah, you need a scope, absolutely. Mm. But finding the fun isn't. Necessarily going to fit into the scope you said in the beginning.
1: You're very right. Absolutely. So I think yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, that's the thing is that that's also the role of a producer is you're very much the one who you know has to to give a reality check to everyone, right? Because I think there's especially a point. you could say it's the start, but also towards the end you know where it's like this spiral of you know we know time is starting to run short and we want to get as many things as possible and some some people are very you know attached to some details that they really want to get in the game and yeah, right. you have to be the person to be like but is it actually gonna matter like are people gonna see it or as you said you know does that need to take yeah because sometimes it's like no it's just you know maybe it's just an ego thing you really want it in because for some reason you really like it and i'm not saying it's bad i'm just saying that we and sometimes those everything.
0: decisions are right.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just we don't have the time, and we have to pick our battles. As I like to say it, when we have like backlog, cutting moments, I'm like, okay, we have to pick our favourite children now.
0: Exactly. So exactly. Right. But do you know what? This is why I love live ops, <laughs> mm. because a feature doesn't ever have to be killed. It can it's just true. be delayed. Yes. yes. That takes so much of the ego out of it. If you do it right, you've got to have. I mean, I, I talk about minimum viable promise, and it's. Yes. Um, oh. the I love that line. Is, is mm. because the important thing is, it's not just the thing that you deliver has mm. to be viable, and it does have to be viable. But that's not good enough. It's got to set. It's sort of foreshadow why you'll stick with it and what's coming next.
1: Hmm. I like if it, it. I like doesn't it.
0: Doesn't do that. You don't have. Any chance of making a living game work? I don't think.
1: And I guess live ops. I've worked less on live ops, but it's really mm-hmm. interesting because I feel like it kind of goes against you know what I said earlier, which is like if you don't have a time limit, you never get a game done.
0: Um, well, the thing is, you have a rolling time limit, and actually, in some so one of the joys is creating pipelines. I love working with pipelines because mm. so my typical approach to a pipeline is I can have content, I am gonna have features. Mm -hmm. Content is stuff that doesn't need coders. Features are stuff that do. It's Mm -hmm. pretty much that. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have X amount of resource. Same constraint, same triangle. I'm going to have X amount of budget. And now I'm going to work out a rolling three-month program. Mm. And for content, I'm going to basically divide my three months into month periods. And Mm -hmm. then within each of those month periods, I have to have a certain amount of content per week. Mm -hmm. So I have a theme per month. I know what, what level of content I have to guarantee predictably every week, what's my minimum number of pieces of content I will release, whether that content is a level or whether that content is a skin or whether that content is a kind of, um, I don't know, uh, map, whatever it mm-hmm. might be.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, I need to work out what can that, what well, A, what is the cadence? But let's say it's every week. If it's every week, what is it one thing? Is it mm-hmm. five things? What's the absolute minimum that keeps people feeling engaged and valued? Mm-hmm. Then I have to make sure that I can deliver that in sensible ways over that three month period. Now, if I'm clever, I'll produce not the same thing, but the same category of thing for month one and then reskin that for month two and then reskin that for month three. There will be variations because otherwise it's boring. We don't want that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But we want to kind of minimize the work flow. To get Mm -hmm. the unique assets, Mm. so that's my content pipeline. My feature pipeline is much more complicated because why isn't it? Isn't one third of my time, so one of those months, Mm. tech debt. Mm. So that means you've got to look after updates. That means you've got to look after any changes to the engine. Any. um, platform changes any legal changes mm. to be accommodated in that paradigm any any functional time that is lost because something breaks has to be accommodated for and it's going to happen so we better make sure we've allowed for it
1: so I love one it
0: one month of your time is already allocated yeah the next That's great the next third is UX mm-hmm. usability hmm And the reason for that is if I don't constantly try to improve the user experience, I'm dead. Mm. People forget to do that. Mm. Forget that you can't just let, oh, this game is done. Done, wash my hands. No, it's a minimum viable promise. You have to make sure that you build and continue. Now, to be honest, the UX third is the one that shifts. That's the Mm. one that you lose. I get it, but start out with that estimation. That means you've got one month worth of dev time to create three features. Oh, gosh. Now we're talking about proper constraints, because that means you're, mm. you, you could build one thing and then use configs to make it feel different in three ways. Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's the reality of the only way you can do it. I like it. I and like the it. Fact is that you've got amazing amounts of constraint, mm-hmm. but you're just pipelining that every three months. Nice. The worst thing is somehow you've got to find time to give the team holiday Oh,
1: no. Oh, God. Illness. No. So
0: your cool schedule is, is so tight.
1: Yeah, absolutely. No, you're right. And I really like the, I mean, obviously, you know, with your experience, you would know. But, yeah, actually factoring in time for tech debt is just so important. Yeah. <laughs>
0: And no one does it. I mean, I know, I, mean, I remember seeing the burn rate for tech debt at Unity when I was there. And, you know, they had so, they put so much time and effort in it and it still grows. Well, whatever you yeah. do, it still grows. And the amount yeah. of complaints and, uh, and issues that you had. And, and I think Unity handled it really well, by the way. I'm not having any critique about that. Those guys, that, when I was there, were fantastic. I, I, mm. I loved my time at Unity. Uh, mm. And, um, you yeah, uh, know, it was, it, 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 they're just lovely bunch of people um but the the point i'm trying to get to is it's it takes experience and practice to know these things are patterns you've got to accommodate for in advance of your planning.
1: yes um and that's the thing is that a producer will help i mean their role essentially is ideally they don't want to be reacting they want to be predicting right and they're helping everybody to do it if all you're doing is reaction it's just so stressful, first of all. It's horrible. It's the worst position to be in. But
0: um, this is why we end up with crunch. Absolutely. We, we refuse to do crunch ever.
1: Excellent. Um, yes.
0: And so I'd much rather change the deadline yeah. than I would do crunch because yeah. I don't think, I think it's more expensive than delaying.
1: Yeah. Well, essentially, it's either delaying or reducing the scope again, right? Yeah. Exactly. Like that's essentially the only way, um, because things slip. Yeah, for sure. You yeah. can plan all the buffer in the world um, at the start of a project; you will still eat into it, and things will still happen. Um, and you don't want to build too much buffer anyway, because otherwise people actually are like, "Oh, I've got time; I'll do it later." It doesn't
0: work. Well, that, that's the other thing I was going to come up with. It's like, are we using the Scotty rule? So the Star Trek Scotty rule of multiply everything by four. <laughs>
1: oh, I don't know it. Oh, so sorry. So
0: the classic joke in classic Star Trek was the Scotty rule. I think I actually referenced it several times in Next Generation, even in other uh, versions of Star Trek, where Scotty used to always uh, multiply everything by four. Mm. Um, I be mean, some, some very hardened Trekkies will tell me I'm wrong and I've, I've got the multiplication right, but they know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, but my, my point is that we always add buffer. Mm-hmm. And certain people we want to add more buffer for than others. Oh, yes. But at the same time, we've got that, that tyranny of the buffer, yeah. which is you've just told people they got more time than they have.
1: Yeah. It's actually a really tricky, really difficult fine line, actually. You know, there's this thing also of a soft deadline and hard deadline. Yeah. You know, so the hard deadline is really the date by which if you don't have the thing done, you're dead. But the soft deadline is the deadline that people actually aim for. And there's a buffer between the two, essentially. Now, the thing is, who knows in the team or, you know, in the entire project, who knows about the difference of these two is difficult. Yeah. I used to work with someone who said, you know, I want you to lie to everyone, including myself. You know, um, I want to know the, the everybody needs to know the soft deadline, but the client needs to know the hard deadline, essentially kind yeah. of thing. Exactly. Um, Actually, and, i you know,
0: an extra one on that. Hmm. I don't think people take into account testing properly.
1: Oh, never, because no one, you know, testing is always completely undervalued. Um, yeah. Absolutely, no, I for mean, sure.
0: I don't know about you, but the way we look at testing. So I want, I don't think works on my machine counts. Um, uh, I yes. mean, I, I know that's the obvious. Anyone who's been in game dev knows the phrase "works on my machine," and <sighs> if you're on the production or design side, you have a a a white streak of terror running down your back every time you hear those words. And if you're a coder, you go, but that's works. Um, There's also a difference
1: between, you know, it works on my machine and it works in the engine because it's like, you can't tell me (laughs) the difference. I'm even more worried because that does not mean the same thing.
0: No, but then, so, I I mean, I I think, again, I I have maybe a slightly skewed look at it, but obviously Mm QA is an important thing. But yes. to me, there's various kinds of QA. I've got a smoke mm-hmm. test, particularly if it's a networked experience, but really anything modulated designed. I want somebody to run a smoke test initially yes. to see how do these things talk to each other? Do they work properly? Do they give you the expected results, job done? Yep. But I also want to do unit testing. So I want to know that mm-hmm. each unit, each module is being specifically you know, tested against its script. Um, yep. Now, I'm a big believer in um, test-driven development, mm-hmm. which means that as a... As a um, designer, or, or, well, this is what I tried to do when I was at PlayStation. Uh, I'm not sure I did a particularly good job with it, but I'm sure the various old, old PlayStation Home folks will tell you other, one way or another if I, if I ever got even close to it. But the Absolutely. aim was I wanted to say what the test was uh-huh. for the requirements. So the requirement would be this, and we would have a use case, and then the use case would be used to derive what the coder would then do And then what the test will be. So the idea is, it's a conversation. I say what I want it to be. Mm -hmm. It tells me how it's going to be done, but Mm -hmm. also tells the tester how it's going to be tested. And I warranty that that test that the coder has said they're going to do will satisfy my design. It's a kind of it's actually a classic waterfall model, different definition than in in project management, but yes. No, I see what you mean. I um. That yeah. that then means that we have a clear identity of what's going to happen, what's going to be tested, all the different types of testing need to happen, and that's just getting the thing ready to be a candidate, let alone deployed.
1: Yes, you still need to and test it afterwards for sure.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, know, how 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 much effort do you think producers, I mean not producers, how much, did, how many, how many game teams actually do you think pay attention to? this, this minutiae, these layers, this sort of um, infrastructure that we have to pay attention to in terms of the, the process?
1: I think not enough, to be honest. Um, yeah, I, I mean, because, you know, obviously, unfortunately, there's still the stereotype that is still true, is that testers are quite badly considered in the games industry, right? Like, they don't know what they're doing anyway, right? Uh, they're just, you know, kids who wanted to work in games and, you know, they don't do anything. And I've I've even, you know, I've heard several times and I think it's completely fair. Um, you know, people say, you know, QA is not just the starting, you know, the stepping stone and then, you know, just for something, it can be a career in itself. And it really made me think when I heard that, I really thought, yeah, that's true. And, yeah. um because I have heard myself say, you know, if you want to be a producer, one of the things you can do is you start in QA. Because it's true, a lot of producers start in QA. Oh,
0: absolutely. A lot of designers start right? in QA.
1: Yes, absolutely. And, you know, there's no problem to that. But it's true that, you know, like at, at Dot we, we have a QA director who is fantastic. And, um, you know, it's not like his step in stone, it's clearly his career. Um, so I think. F-
0: we had a few people, there was a particular mm. guy on PlayStation Home who was brilliant QA manager. Mm. And he, it was his career to do that testing and that hmm. skill of being able to understand how do you go through that process? How can you do the step by step testing? How can you do the randomized testing in a way that actually kind of mimics real players' behavior and still do that systematically and still capture the results of that in a way that can then be repeated? Yeah, consistent. That's not trivial stuff.
1: No, it's not. And it's also, um, there's a lot of, you know, um, there's a lot of good you can get from experienced people as well who know the sort of pitfall you have to look for, right? Um, in terms of not just game and game flow, but also, you know, different platforms, for example, right? Like if yeah, you're yeah. doing multi-platforms, they'll know the sort of things to be careful about. Um, you know, I've worked on a porting project, and thankfully there was this QA director who knew, you know, the things to really look for um in terms you know this or that platform and the things that could be missing that you know a lot of people kind of forget in development so they really provide a lot of help and you know again they they help also you know bring forward potential future problems which again as a producer i really like because that's that's what we do um we bring forward you know potential future problems so yeah no people don't pay enough attention to testers for sure and um at the same time you know if especially I've worked in studios that were too small to have someone full-time to do QA, which is always a problem because, I think, I mean, always a problem. In my experience, it is a problem, but it's difficult to solve because uh, you end up having people who kind of like do part-time QA because you still want someone inside, you know, to kind of do it sometimes. But you also don't have someone who really has ownership of it because then you outsource your QA and, of course, you can develop a really good, you know, relationship with an external partner doing QA. But there's still a lack of, um, uh, I think, a lack of um, ownership because it's not necessarily their baby.
0: (laughs) But it's also... I've worked with external QA, and I've actually had really good results. Um, I've also
1: had good results.
0: Yeah, I mean, for me, it's about scale of organisation. Yep. Um, I think when you're a two-man band, you've got to do what you can do. You you can't hire someone. Not for sure. But you do need to find some way to to take because it's a bit like editing when you're writing you mm. can't edit your own stuff yes not without some period of distance at least yes, um, yes. i find that this is why i'm a terrible uh, fiction writer because basically i i spend like six months doing something and i have to leave it for a year mm. before I even start reading it, and i'll never get anything out ever so I, anyway. I understand no you i understand
1: ahead. i completely understand you're completely right yeah. um it's actually really funny isn't it to test in front of someone. I mean, you should never do that. It's really stressful because they really look at you. But when you test something that someone yeah. has done, but it's really funny because they're like, but you're doing it wrong. And it's like, you know, it's like, no, I'm not doing it wrong. I'm doing it the way that feels natural to me. And I mean, this is a bit more playtest-y in a way, but like, yeah, yeah. you know, because QA is also playtesting anyway, in a way, right? In a way, the first it's time. a difficult
0: one, isn't it? Because you, you're yeah. not going to get the same information from a Definitely. QA process. because. People are going to come in from the premise that the thing is a playable experience mm. um, if they're coming in as, to do a focus group style. Thing. Whereas the QA course guy so. is going to go, all right, here it is. This yep. is what I do. This is what I yep. do. This is what I do. This is what I do. Yep.
1: Yep. For sure. But it's also, um, you know, by that, I mean, obviously, you know, they found this problem and, you know, the dev is like, well, why did you even go there? And it's like, well, you know, they look for the problem, of course. Yeah, um, exactly. And it's, it's a lot of patience as well for testers, you know, because they get bombarded with comments and like, I need more information. And all the worst, of course, is, you know, they've painstakingly spent 20 minutes writing this beautiful bug report. And the dev comes in and just goes, as design, this is not a bug.
0: <laughs> this is not a bug. And, and, and frankly, I, I, as a designer, we get that. And, and we have to take that on the chin, because sometimes it is a design thing. Yeah. Sometimes yeah, it's, true. it's a bug. But we can solve it with the design thing
1: yeah yeah it's true um, yeah okay. yeah that's fine but so yeah no people underestimate the need for testing for sure yeah. um i think a lot of the time also you know a rookie mistake is to only do one round of testing which is a terrible mistake
0: <laughs> Like I, say, I think there's so many different types i haven't talked about regression testing yet i haven't yeah. talked about deployment testing yet. yeah you know going from um you know dev environment to staging environment to live environment Mm -hmm. all this kind of stuff that's that's a
1: huge QA conversation but um but yeah as as a producer I yeah I I'm always I try to be really cautious with you know um being careful with especially as a producer you you're not the boss but you still have this sort of um I want to say aura of authority even though it sounds a bit a bit corny I'm sorry. sorry You know what I mean? It's like, I don't want to say that because, you know, again, there's this image that Q is at the bottom of the food chain and I really don't want that. So I have always tried to be, you know, gracious and respectful. Absolutely, and... but
0: that's because there, I think the, the role of this, we're back to the layers of what a producer is. Yeah. You know, there is a layer of producer which is tracking. Yeah. There is Absolutely. a layer of producer which is make sure that bill gets delivered on time and budget. Yeah.
1: Uh, and so as a result, there's also you know, there's speci- there's also a, a horrible role well, towards the end, which is closing down bugs as one fix. Yeah. And that's something that QA and production does together usually. There's also a producer it. who specialized in that called the closers, right? I didn't yeah. actually know that until recently. So, I, you know, I sound like I'm very knowledgeable and stuff. I've heard but that let's...
0: phrase before, actually, and I've been yeah. doing it forever. <laughs> Closer,
1: yeah, no, no, no. Closer is a specific uh, a like specific it. role. Producer yeah. coming in a project. That usually it's a project that drags on and on and on. They just come and they're like, nope, won't fix, won't fix, won't fix, won't fix. And they yeah. essentially say, no, this is the minimum you need. Just do that and then let's release this yeah. game and we're done with it. It's essentially someone who has no emotional connection towards the game. So usually it's oh, someone I'm- from the outside.
0: Yeah. No, I'm-, um, I'm used to being the other the, the guy where they go, right, we, we need to get this out. Are you willing to waive this bug?
1: Mm. Yes, of course. I-
0: and again, remember, it's my fault. Oh, yes, it is your fault. <laughs> so yeah. If I wave it, it's my fault. Oh, if yeah. I wave it, it's my fault. But that's the thing <laughs> is
1: that's accountability. That's something that's yeah. so important in production as well, because, again, we solve problems, right? So every time like, someone brings me a problem, my first question is, who is accountable for this problem? Who essentially is going to be worried about this problem the most? Um, In the production team, I'm not saying, you know, the players and the type of players. I'm saying, you know, is this for the creative director? Is this for the lead animator? Whatever, you know. That's that person I need to go to and be like, hey, there's this problem. What do we do about it? Usually I'm going to try and find different options, you know. So, you know, I thought, you know, I talked to people and these are the options that we came up with. Maybe they will find another option, but I have to do the groundwork of, you know, doing the sort of, like, Um, you know thinking ahead of you know how can we solve this problem so I don't just go to people with a problem but I go with a problem and potential solutions so they can oh yeah
0: it's the it's the golden rule isn't it you can't and it's that something we try to instill in our team it's like we we want you to bring up problems it's essential that you bring up problems yes the curiosity behind finding the problem and talking about it is essential but we've got to have a solution with it, yes. Because it's a useless yes. thing to be told a problem. It's a negative. It's actually quite yes. derisory. Quite, it's quite—it's mean,
1: terrible. It's yeah. such a mental charge because it's very yeah. stressful. And it's such—it is a producer producer's role to actually spend that you know have that mental charge and spend that time thinking about it. Do so you save the time of other people doing it? Um, I, I think it's very taxing. Yeah, I
0: think we're getting something. And actually, I think this is about what I think about as a company, a kind of. To me, a company, a team is about a shared endeavor, a shared experience that we are we are pursuing mm. an outcome from. Mm. And I, I think that the producer is the guardian of that shared endeavor because yes. the, the yes. person making sure that people care, that mm. they take responsibility and that they're accountable, they provide their solutions and that those solutions are consistently communicated. And mm. if anything, that communication of the shared endeavor is embodied, I think, has to be embodied by the producer role.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's all about, you know, if someone didn't know that, you know, like it happens all the time. It's like, well, I didn't know that. No one told me that, you know, and I've seen some people be like, oh, well, you know, you should have, you know, gotten an info. No, no, it means that, you know, there's a problem in the process. Yes. Communication needs to be, you know, uh, better. And how do we do that? And that's a producer's role, really, to actually either find a solution or at least raise the problem and, you know, suggest, you know, I don't know, a mailing uh, newsletter
0: or use, whatever. Uh, we're going use Confluence rather than using some other... Yeah. We actually end up using Confluence in PlayStation because we were stuck with the whole Jira world. I, I hate Jira. No, um, you
1: can't say that to a producer. Uh, I, do, I, do, I,
0: I, can't, I, I know I'm in a minority. I.
1: And here's yeah. the thing, Oscar. I will tell you something. You probably hate it because you didn't use it... St- the way it should be used. No, no, no. Like,
0: it was too... It was like using a JCB when I needed to uh, pick a lock. A just, sorry, like a big truck. big Oh, yeah.
1: Digger truck. Oh god. JCB is
0: a British version of a big digger truck, when actually all I needed was a fine finesse tool.
1: I, I don't know either of these, but I get the idea. Um, yeah. That's fine. Okay, no, I understand. Some projects do the not necessarily need GR. I completely agree. Except using, I would say...
0: Notion, which is uh, quite a nice tool but that it's allows to have one, one place for everything.
1: Yeah, but Notion is more of a wiki. It's it's like Confluence. Jira is really about tracking tickets, and especially uh, I think it's really helpful when you're in a full-on QA phase, because yes. when you have bugs, you really want a bug tracking system. Um, and
0: but there are others, Bugzilla. There are other tools out there that I felt much more comfortable with.
1: <sighs> The thing about Jira is that if you know how to set it up correctly, then it's fantastic. But it's quite difficult to get into, genuinely. And I I thought I knew it. I thought I knew Jira. And then I got to uh, .NET, where we have Jira specialists, literally someone whose job it is to be a Jira specialist. And now I get, I've scratched the surface of Jira. And I'm really like, okay, this is actually great. I get it now. And I do get
0: it. And I I think the thing is that you've got to have a certain type of mindset. I am too fluid person to stick to routines and it drives Ella round the twist. <laughs> and rightly so I'm terrible. Um but it's because I that it's that creative part of my brain and I my, I'm my part of my brain. Okay. So um, but process mm. I love designing. Reading. Mm. Mm. Um, and I, I think with Jira, it's a bit like Teams. It's a bit like uh, Microsoft products. They actually can be brilliant. Absolutely. However, you have to be all in. Oh, yes. Yes. And I think that I'm not an all in kind of guy. Um, I'm always looking for what's next. So that's Mm -hmm. why for me, and the kind of organizations I work with, it's it's better to have some other tools which are a little bit more fluid so that we're constantly able to change things as we go, rather than having to set things up first and stick to it.
1: Well, you can set it up and then make it evolve. That's the thing, though. Um, yeah. Like I've I've got way different pipelines and processes for different teams because they're very different. And also, we change yeah. them when you, we realize that you know we try things and like so if it doesn't work, it's yeah. fine. We can find another way. You know, um, and uh, I won't bore you with details. But I, you know, I understand completely Jira resistance. This is is you know what I would call it. Um, oh, and,
0: it, and it's perfe- it's totally me. I have no qualms against the principle of it. I totally understand why some people absolutely love it. In fact, we, in fact we're, we're talking to, a, um, potentially hiring somebody who, he and I are already having jokes about Jira versus no Jira.
1: <laughs> but the thing is also, like, I actually knew someone who loved Jira so much he would use it for his personal life. And he was admitting himself that that was insane. Um, But... Um I think there's also a certain size of a team where it kind of doesn't really necessarily mean that it's useful but I will tell you something as a producer someone who if I have like one person who's reluctant to use Jira on my team it makes my work so much harder because we Again, use Jira for everyone
0: hmm? so if you're if you are as a team are in you have to all be in I think yeah. if you start yeah. differentiating out of it it becomes... Okay, oh. so one of the reasons why I think my my negativity to Jira, and it's, it's nothing really, it's not really Jira's fault. So in home in PlayStation, we had to have one set of reporting internally,
1: uh-huh.
0: which we used Jira for, because that was what the studio used. Uh-huh. And then we had to have a different form of reporting for the Japanese team who used a different tool.
1: Of course they would. I used to live in Japan. I'm not surprised.
0: Yeah. So that was fun. <laughs>
1: Oh no, that's horrible.
0: Yeah, that I hate it. that. So, hence why I know. Yeah, it's not there. It's not Jira's fault. It's just me being annoyed.
1: <laughs> no, I, I understand. The thing is, there's a point where you don't want your team to spend all their time doing admin, um, yes. and that's a real shame. That's also why, like I said, a lot of people just don't know Jira. Like, there's a lot of automation you can do with Jira, for yes. example. That they can do a lot for you. That again, I didn't know before. Um, and there are lots of
0: tools out there that can do lots of things like that. But I, sure. I th- let's go back to what this is. I think to me, this is what this underlying is saying is that what we need is process. Yeah. Because we don't we want to have less time spent reporting and more yep. time spent doing. Absolutely. So if we have clever, smart ways of doing that process, now, yeah. oh, I, we use a Kaban, uh, not Kaban. Yeah, Kaban. Kanban, not Kanban. Yeah. Kanban. Yeah, Kanban. Kanban. That's it, Kanban. Kanban, yeah. yeah. We use a Kanban-style approach yep. rather than a sprint, scrum-style approach. Great, great. Most people won't know what the difference is.
1: Oh, yeah, that's true. But it doesn't really
0: matter. Um, what matters is you've got a systematic approach. Now, mm-hmm. actually, what we try to do is we have a we actually have a waterfall overarching approach. Mm-hmm. And each section of those waterfalls, we try to break down into sprints. Great. And our Good waterfall time. uses KPIs. Now, that's our approach. We have that systematically designed and and. Hence, having a producer like Ella helps. Mm. But each team is going to have their own approach to it. How how, yes. how how should a producer approach the team they work with to get them into the state where they can actually be efficient? What mm. the, what, what's the advice you'd give?
1: Uh, I would say every team is different. Say, for example, actually, I work with two different departments right now. And one is actually using sprints, and the other one is using a Kanban, because it makes oh, complete okay. sense. Yeah, like it's yeah. not forcing a system on them. It's working together towards... The The ideal is you want your team to actually ask for the process that you're trying to implement. Like That's the most virtuous circle. I have a team who asked me if they could put estimates on their tasks. And I can't believe I'm saying this, because usually it's the other way around, right? You're like, can you put your estimates in your tasks?
0: Yeah, exactly. You haven't put your estimates
1: in. Yeah, and they're like, oh, it would be so helpful if we did that. And I thought, oh. I've Love achieved, it. you know, uh, something, I guess. Yes. Um the but That's the thing is not forcing it because also if they really don't want to do it. I think it's a fine line, you know, like if there's a new tool that you do believe in, you have to be, you know, the, the champion of change because people will refuse change because that's just a, you know, human thing. It's fine. Yeah. Um, it will take time and you have to, you know, prove it and try it but maybe there's a point at which you know if it's been 3 months and people are still absolutely dragging their feet maybe you know drop it but um you can always say you know it's a trial it's a you know test and error let's see how it goes you know and be very cautious about that so my advice is try out things um if you have people who are competent to know the difference between kanban and sprint and i i sound you know very passive aggressive when i say that i genuinely don't mean it i'm literally saying i've had those conversations with directors you know i've been like kanban is literally just a list it goes from backlog to done, and it's literally a never-ending circle uh sprint is more you know iterations of of the same thing blah 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 uh you know and we discuss do we need to you know change this for the next sprint, blah 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 how does it sound to there you which one do you I prefer miss.
0: there are some things i actually miss from dance charts mm. I know, and I, I know this is a bit sort of, sort of funny i i used to like the fact that i could work out what my critical path was
1: <laughs> i understand well you know one doesn't exclude the other in the oh, sense that uh, you yeah I'm being,
0: I'm being deliberately sort of mean. It's oh, more I of see. a joke between people who understand production and planning. <laughs> oh, uh, what yeah. a great
1: joke! And yeah, it sounds so nerdy, but I yeah, like it. Yeah, But um, that's the thing is, also, you know, I hear a lot of those, you know, people asking me, oh, should we go agile? And it's like, everybody's some extent of agile. And by yeah. the way, it doesn't mean that agile's bad. There's actually a lot that's good about it. Um, like, the team that I do campaign with, we actually do daily stand-ups. Because uh, yeah. stand-ups are fantastic, especially for a team leader. Um, when we you're do really daily busy, regardless. yeah. No, that's the thing. Fifteen
0: minutes daily stand up, regardless.
1: Exactly, and you know it's not necessarily stood up uh, when you're on Teams. But hey ho. Um, I personally, I'm, uh, the only thing I would say is that I'm not a fan of written stand ups. I think it's a real shame. It's literally the Is the opportunity you have to have your entire team together for 15 minutes and to talk, each person talks for like one minute, say what they did the day before, what they are going to do, and if they have a blocker. It might be the only moment in the day where everybody's talking together and it's actually really precious. It
0: is. Interestingly, we do end-of-day reports in the Ah. same format as a stand-up. Yeah, good, good. So, what have you done? What are you doing next? What are your blockers?
1: Yeah, no problem.
0: That is our written end-of-day report that everybody does. Apart from me, because I'm awkward. Um, <laughs> hey, I've got too much to do. Um, that's the I really understand. worst thing to say. start leading. Well, not just me. Yeah. Thankfully, we have Ella, who's much more sensible than me. Oh. Um, but having the start-up say what you're doing to everybody, and mm. then having the end saying what you're doing, what we've done, what's blockers, mm. that more, top and tailing the day works really well, because we get to see yep. each other. We know yep. who's working that day. Yep. And we have very flexible hours. So not everybody works every day. Yep, I understand. We on that day, they have, if they're on that day, they have to be on the stand-up. Yep. And then they, they do a report at the end of the day to say what they've done. And that yep. way we know what's going on. And so important.
1: So important. And that's the also the moment that if there's a big change for whatever reason, that's the moment you know you've got everybody's attention. And you can actually say, by the way, guys, priorities have changed a little bit. For some reason, you know, I know you were supposed to work on, you know, B, but you need to now work on c whatever uh you know and it's going to be today's thing and um it can happen and that's fine and it's really the moment you can do that uh and it's a huge mental i always talk about mental charge first of all because i'm a woman uh and that's <laughs> a thing we we have but also because it's such a thing it, it's such a precious time and energy that you have to take into account right and how to you know alleviate that for everyone including yourself um
0: I think it's. It, I mean, it's, obviously, it's not just gender-related. It's it's do with uh, personality and other sort of things. So, for example, you know, introverted versus extroverted people as a as a sort of dimension is really an interesting one. You know, um, I've got family members who suffer from social anxiety, and they find it mm-hmm. really what, what, you know, impossible even to sit on a on a pool like this. Mm. Um, and and understanding the mental health impact of your your team and what works and doesn't work for them is one of the factors about how you can operate best of the team. And we haven't even started talking about scale yet. You know, when you get past, you know, ten, twenty people, yes, you've got to think differently about how yeah. you slice up those kind of conversations.
1: Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: Frankly, I think having more than ten people talking about what they're doing in a day is really tough. It's hard yeah. to sit and listen to it.
1: It's uh I don't remember what the ideal uh, amount of people for a stand up is. I think it's about eight. And I have to tell you I have a team where we are fifteen. and i will tell i won't tell you which team it is because but i have told them i think it's too many and i think we should split in two but so far we managed to make it work and it's actually it's actually on time which as a producer i'm very proud of of this team they've managed as a as a team of 15 they managed to do a 15 minute long stand-up
0: i'm so impressed that you managed i stopping me talking for 15 minutes on my own is hard
1: oh i understand i would probably you know I, I, I'm sure I could find a, sol- I, I could find a, a you nice... you just slot. say,
0: Oscar, shut up.
1: <laughs> no, I would never do that. I say, oh, you would?
0: I, I tell you to. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, but the the way we do it actually is uh, we ask... Because pe- we're all remote, right? We ask people to write down two lines of what they did and what they're going to do. So that way we save a bit of time. They just need to read it and we can actually discuss if needed. And that's a bit faster.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think yeah, you know, anything that shorthands that makes it easier. Yep. So it's more about the people. And again, we're coming back to the shared endeavor. Yes, yes. And I think that's why a kick-off meeting for every project is so important, where they yeah. understand you set out in different... the But I also think having a kind of recap and a, and a pre-mortems and post-mortems. Oh my god. Go through. I mean, how so often do you do important. a pre-mortem? Have you... I haven't done one for years, and I keep meaning to because I love them. I have do never have... done do you... that. No, I've never done that. It's I've... brilliant. It's mm. um, so, like the idea things of, to avoid. Yeah, well, so the idea is um, you basically, before you launch, before you go into the next phase of development, you stop and you say, okay, the game has failed. How has it failed? Oh. And then you brainstorm all the things that could go wrong. Mm. And it's magic.
1: Oh, you know, if everyone amazing. embraces
0: it in the best intent that, it's, that it is, we're not blaming anyone. Either. We're saying, where are the things we're worried about? I and love it, it. changes the energy. It changes your thinking, and it means that you get ahead of the game, mm. and it stops you from going down these dark alleys, these cul-de-sacs mm-hmm. uh, But it's and really tough to do.
1: I guess it helps you focus on what's important as well, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: That's fantastic. So essentially, before the start of a new phase, you really you imagine the game has failed, and you say why it's failed. Yeah, that's awesome. I love it. I'm going to steal that. I'm going
0: gonna... to. Oh, genuinely love it. Uh, it's well Thank worth you. doing. Reason is that people will not tell you what they're worried about really. Mm. It's just because it's natural human thing. We're on yeah. this common shared endeavor together. Of course, we're not going to tell you that I'm a bit nervous about this. I don't think this is going to work really well. I don't think your audience yeah. is going to care about this. Why would you pull up? Why would you be the, the downer? Whereas if you mm-hmm. put in a context where you're championing that that thought process. And that we can fix it because you're championing it, championing it. I think that you end up with a better result at the end of it. As well. I like
1: that. I like that a lot. Um, at the same time, I would tell you it's also a producer's job anyway to uh, really actually ask those questions along the way, right? Oh, it certainly is. Um, but I think there's really... something
0: magic about putting the team in the middle of that cauldron and having yep. the producer lead that, not the product owner. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah no, for sure. Um, but it's also, you know, as a producer, your role is also to be like, you know, because we're all passing plates, right? As a producer. Yeah. And it's like, well, there's a plate on the floor. And to actually be like, do we have to care about this plate? Whose plate yeah. is this? And do we have to care about this? Is this normal? Oh, it's not. OK, who's picking it up then? OK, yeah. pass it to this and let's keep going then. Awesome. You know?
0: I pass the I plate. You How do you feel about rag reports? Do you use rag reports?
1: I think I've done it, but remind me what the. Okay, uh... so
0: what RAG means is red, amber, green. So basically, oh, yes. it's a risk register. Oh, yes. yes, register yes. Oh, yes. You, oh. you break down your issues, your dependencies, oh. and your um, oh, mitigations.
1: Okay, so, okay. They're very important. They're very helpful. I hate yeah. them. I hate them. <laughs> I hate them so much because they take so much time to do. They're yeah. so important, though. I think they are they're. Really the, the one time I've used them was for external people um yeah. so essentially clients right uh because it was also to kind of you know make them sh- make sure that they would face those risks so sometimes you know the mitigation plan was them doing something um so to put make sure it's in writing and you know be careful that you know they're accountable yada yada um they take so long though uh, but they're i think they're a really good exercise because it also makes you actually realize do risk management, right? Yeah. Which is also your job. I just, oh, exactly. I think, I hate having to decide if it's red or amber. I think that's my main problem.
0: <laughs> it's difficult. It's a bit like working out the priority So yeah. I, again, another one. I, I don't like P1, P2, P3. You I actually end up with a P0.
1: No, well, you don't have to. Okay, here's the thing. I yeah. thought you would always end with a P0. The people I work with, I'm actually surprised how good they are at not putting everything as a P0. I'm very impressed. I'm very yeah, impressed. The
0: reason I don't like it is because I think you end up with fudged answers. I prefer absolute prioritization. So there is only one level one priority. There's only one level two priority. I see. And by putting them in list order, it really forces you to make a decision what's more important.
1: It's. I understand that. Yeah, we... um. We have, uh, yeah, we have different systems as well. Like if we have two P1s, you know, it's like which one's above, which one do we start yeah. with or something. There's also another way I quite like that we used to do, we, we do a, a Preloaded, I assume they still do it, is um they do severity as well. But yes. they don't, don't just do it for bugs, because usually you'd use it for bugs, but we also use it for features. So, you know, it's A is legal, crash, the worst things ever. And there's A123. Yeah, so it's
0: Yeah,
1: it's like, you can't have an A. If you have an A, you're dead. Um, B is functional. So that's more yeah. like functional bugs, right? And there's B1 is huge functional issues. Like a crash would be A, but then it's anything that's not a crash. Uh, yeah. B, one, two, three. And again, then the C is cosmetic. So usually it's visual, Yeah. one, two, three. And then D is new feature. So, you know, it's like, yeah, we thought about it later, next. <laughs> um,
0: we we use the right service level agreements with all this kind of stuff in it. And mm. I think it, like, priority, being based on, importance and, well, on on urgency and severity.
1: Yes, urgency and severity is essentially what yeah. it's about. And there's that, that thing that a B1 is probably more important than a B2, but a C1 is probably more important than a, a B2. So that's also where you can you know, put things together. And I think yeah. it makes it, and every project's different, right? If your game is mainly visual, then nothing's cosmetic, everything's functional in a way, but um, yeah, it, it, yeah, it depends.
0: Um, uh, again, I, it's a difficult one. Like you say, every team is going to work out how they're going to do it. But at the end of the day, you've got to have a system where it's very clear that you get to the things that need to be done rapidly. Yes. Um, uh, and especially when you're running live.
1: Yeah. And I think it's also, again, you have to, you know, you have to be ruthless. Um, not everything's going to get done. Let's be very pragmatic about it, and yeah. that's again where the producer comes in and has to, you know. Sometimes it feels like you know we're we're heartless and we don't care, but no, it's on the contrary, we do care. We want things to actually get finished. Yeah, but it's we have to be ruthless. We can't save everyone, so who do we save? What do we do? Um, who do we save?
0: Exactly. This is, yeah. we're talking about triage, basically.
1: Yes, that's exactly is, what it is.
0: We're, doing, we're looking after the health of the project, and at um, the end of the day, if we can't triage it, we're not going to yeah. have a, a project get out there and
1: yeah. And every, the t- you know, done. every time I've done triaging, usually would be with the creative director or the lead designer because you can't do it alone. Uh, I mean, you can, but it's uh, I think it's too ruthless, uh, and then everybody hates you. It's like you need you know everybody no, hates you to, already because you're the producer. Um, it so. has
0: to be us, the product owners, saying yes. the final call because at the end of the day. Yes the budget but stops with us Uh, we are accountable for the success of the business of the game yes and if we don't if we're not the ones who say yep that skip that no that doesn't it it has to be our responsibility don't get me wrong we have to be taking the whole team with us Mm -hmm. Uh, and i think you know i don't want to overplay the kind of it's my fault thing um
1: but yeah, yeah, I was yeah. expecting you to say it at this point. And yeah, but <laughs> I would say that, you know, my role obviously with you would say, okay, yeah, we can do A, but I don't, f- do you think we'll have the time to do B? Yeah. No, okay, well, no, so no, yeah. yeah. Would, would you and do And then
0: it? I've yeah. got to solve that. I mean, I do yeah. okay, not me, me, yeah. but you know. I no, that's the
1: thing, a, yeah.
0: This is the fun thing, isn't it? It's like, I think it's why it's so important for projects to start off with an understanding of what their success looks like. Mm-hmm. And having measures on those so that when we make decisions we have to decide between feature a and feature b well which Mm -hmm. is going to get us closest
1: yes yes never lose track of the really the goal at the end and yeah absolutely don't get lost in the detail for sure is really what it's about and i feel again like that's really at the home of that is the producer um and it's also something else i wanted to say was um and it kind of goes with everything we said before is uh uh, it's hard to be a producer because it's also, we literally, it's a very cynical way of seeing it, but I genuinely believe it, is we get paid to stress for other people because our role is to make sure that people focus on doing their job. So when they have a problem, they come to us, they say, I have a problem. You listen to the problem. When you get it and you've got the info, you can say, okay, I've got your problem now. I'll I'll keep it and I'll make it better. You go back to work. And now you've got the stress of that problem on you. And it's, um, you know, you have to like helping people to do that job, but it's it's very stressful.
0: Exactly, and uh, like we said before, there are different levels of responsibility and accountability in that role, mm-hmm. and you know, and that's why we still use the same term for producer when we're talking about the guys who raise the money. The executive producers are still doing that yes. problem solving it's just they're yes. solving a different layer of the
1: problem yes absolutely for sure and they get even more stress obviously like it's really? it's at a a way other level but it's uh I, I
0: refuse to comment on the grounds that i've done that a few times
1: <laughs> <laughs> now but yeah it's uh but it's also yeah i'm thinking of like cool things i've heard Something I, I feel like I won't forget is recently someone uh, I think I was on on an interview for you know for some position and one of the people I work closest with um, introduced me and said uh, Lucy's our producer she's the one who makes sure that um, we don't run into a wall holding scissors and um it's the like nicest that. thing that's the yeah. nicest thing any team member has ever said to me that's I think that's
0: really I love that. That's yeah. really yeah. nice. And that think really that lovely. sums it up, isn't it? Because it shows it's a caregiver role. Yeah. 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 Uh, one of my favorite things that um I've seen producers do is when we happened to be working late one time and this wasn't crunch, this wasn't systematic thing. It was so the yep. team decided particularly for a particular thing we wanted to get done, we were gonna work late. And the producers went out and got pizza. Ah uh, yep. And that's obvious and there are lots of people who have done that but it was just there wasn't any thinking about it they knew they could claim it if they did not have any argument they just went and did it mm-hmm. and no one had to wonder no one had to think about it actually yep. to be fair when i was at sony it was mostly that we actually had that by default there was a lot phone number you could just dial up and then food would be arriving at your desk oh um, but uh, I've seen that in, in smaller teams. And when that producer just said, right, it's Peter, it was really yeah. nice just to see they didn't have to worry. It was just that they'd already paid attention, who was there, what they needed, and how they got them food.
1: Yeah. my um, It's actually one of my favorite side of the job, and it's so much harder remotely, is to really pay attention to those little details that tell you that someone has a problem, you know? Yeah. Um, and the way i i've noticed you know, I, I still manage you know with the tone of the voice or maybe someone does something slightly different to the usual right so i would usually send a little message to their lead and be like can you check on yeah. them um and and usually i'm not wrong i'm not wrong like when i hear of you know someone leaving i'm like yep thought that would That's
0: happen yeah. <laughs> and hopefully you can catch them early hopefully you can work out when somebody's in the wrong job and that often happens i mean you know don't get yeah. me wrong being a game good. developer is not the best paid necessarily compared to other industries. It does have different requirements, and constraints, and sometimes we have expectations about what you can do as a particular developer in a particular game. Mm. You know, um, maybe you don't want to spend your whole career doing ocular occlusion, and you want to make game engines. Well, maybe we can find a way to develop that person in a different way, and that requires awareness. That needs you know the team to the right attitude. I could go on forever on this stuff. So we have been talking for ages and I'm really sorry for taking up so much time, but I love talking to you as always. Likewise. Um, What is the one thing you would say that people should take from this in terms of why would you think that being a producer is a good thing? Why should people choose to be a producer?
1: Um, I think it's the only role that actually sees everything that happens in a project. Literally the only one. Uh, Literally, because we're looking for problems. So that's something that's really exciting. Um, if you like a challenge, it is the most, ch- it is one of the most challenging, I don't want to say, you know, I don't want to assume. Um, it's very challenging also because people misunderstand you. So um, don't have imposter syndrome, which is easier said than done. but because we don't actually do the thing. I feel like it's all soft skill. not all, but it's a lot of soft skills. So I feel like it's a lot of, you know, it's easy to have imposter syndrome and actually feel like, am I really useful? No, you are. I do it too by the way. I say that? I don't do it. I had that conversation recently of, you know, I said to someone, you know, who was feeling a bit down and I said, "No, no, you're a great manager. You did that amazing decision that, you know, you took that amazing decision that, you know, brought your team forward." And he said, "Lucy, it was your suggestion." And I thought, <laughs> "Oh, okay. Well, okay. thanks." Uh <laughs> But yeah, so I have it too, but like it I th- I think it's something we have to be very cautious we have to uh, support each other as producers as well and please do not think that as a producer you're a jira monkey you're not here just to create tickets for people and to <laughs> be people's assistant of creating meetings you know and taking notes in meetings and creating jiras. we're worth more than that um uh, like that's oh, Sorry, yeah. i didn't
0: say that <laughs> <laughs> And like i say any comments i make about your is just because of the way i've had to use it I understand. in the past i've never gone on with it but I, I think it's amazing i think hope it's been quite a therapy session i, I really enjoyed that um so anyway i'm going to uh, say thank you to lucy uh, that was fantastic thank you. Uh, and uh, in our um conclusion so we have been talking about what does a producer do anyway and um, you know as part of my exploration of everything that you wanted about game dev but never dare to ask i've been your host oscar clark and uh, this has been your podcast for game dev london